0: I indeed get to hear from God's Word from Matthew chapter twenty eight. Do you turn to Matthew twenty eight in, in a Bible if you have one in front of you? Um, Matthew chapter twenty eight. I've just come back from holiday and before that I was in um, the Gambia. If you identify the Gambia on the map, well done. My children now can. Um, It's a strange country in the west of Africa, um, surrounded by Senegal, and running up the Gambia River. Um, I was there to teach um, the church, a little denomination in Gambia, the Presbyterian Church in Gambia, about evangelism, about sharing the good news of Jesus. I spoke about things from this passage in Matthew 28. The question might be, why go all the way to Gambia, a country which is 95% Muslim, um, to teach a church, a denomination composed of about two or three hundred members how to share the good news about Jesus with their friends, their colleagues their family in many cases why bother? and the answer has to be because that is the mission of the church the great commission which I'll read in a moment is is a familiar passage perhaps to many of us Jesus' final command on earth to his church said literally before his ascension handing over as it were to them, here's what you are to do it is why I was in Gambia, but I've challenged both the brothers and sisters in Gambia, but also myself. It's something I've often misunderstood. So we're going to look at it again. And hear God's command to us as his people, his, his commission to us, the mission that we have, and think how he will help us in doing it. Let me read Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. Now, To the end of the age. There is the mission of the church. And it is quite a mission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Imagine what those 11 disciples, say minus Judas, must have made of that. Go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, 11 men on a mountain in Galilee, are to be the nucleus of, of a people that will reach to the very ends of the earth. They will bring all nations somehow to, to trust in Christ, to, to be his disciples. It must have seemed impossible. It must have seemed impossible. And if it seemed impossible to them, perhaps it seems impossible to us as well. As familiar as those words are, that, that commission, it seems like, well, how could that possibly happen? How could all nations come to to trust in in the Lord Jesus Christ? How how could we make disciples from amongst every people and tribe and and language in the world? And Familiarity, I think, doesn't make it any less surprising that Jesus would command us to do that. For a long time I served as as a minister in a church that, that had the Great Commission written literally in stone... Um, on the sort of the staging at the front, um, where I would stand to preach. So every sermon I preached had underneath me, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptised in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Maybe it's like a slightly different translation, but roughly those words chiselled in stone underneath. And you could sit and, and look at every week, and yet still think, how is that possible how could we this little church family possibly contribute anything to that great mission how could we be a means by which the the gospel could could get out to the to the nations daunting and all the more daunting i think in some ways when you compare it to the last time the disciples had gone out in matthew's gospel You see, Jesus had sent them out before. In Matthew chapter 10, and if you want to keep a finger in Matthew 28, you could flick back to to Matthew chapter 10. Jesus sends out his disciples with a a mission, but a very different one. Getting at verse 5 of of Matthew 10, Jesus brings the, the 12, so Judas is there. And these twelve Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep at the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You have received without paying, give without pay. Jesus goes on to talk about how they should not even take a change of, of clothes with them. But you see, in some ways... It might seem here more daunting. Heal the sick, raise the dead. Go without even a change of clothes in your backpack. But in some ways the mission is much more limited. Go to the nation of Israel. Go to the nation of Israel. Not, not to the Gentiles, not to the ends of the earth, but, but to the lost sheep of, of God's people in the flesh. But, but now at the end of Matthew's Gospel, that the mission becomes so much larger to the whole earth, to every nation. More, the the missions expand another way. Back back in Matthew 10, the disciples, the the church as it were, were to be a kind of a warm-up act. They go out and they do signs and they announce that the the kingdom is at hand, that Jesus is coming, and then at some point, I guess a a few weeks down the line, Jesus will appear. They are the the warm-up act for someone who is coming later. But here in Matthew 28, Jesus is not going to come until the end. In some way, the disciples are going to be the main event. If the kingdom is going to come, it won't be because they turn up and announce that something's going to happen. Then two weeks later, Jesus will come and make it happen. It is going to happen through them. The target audience is expanded to the whole earth, but more than that, the job they are to do has expanded. Well, it might seem more daunting to perform miracles, in many ways it's it's less daunting than what they are to do now, which is to create in some way God's kingdom upon earth. Not just to, to do signs to say that it's coming soon, but, but to bring it about, to bring people into God's people. You see, that the task should seem daunting. If I were still standing on that, that staging with with the Great Commission written below me, we should be thinking in our heads, well, how could we possibly do that? How could we possibly do that? How could I as an individual possibly contribute to that? And I guess the answer has to be that there was something wrong with the chiselled stone. Much from my Several times I threatened to to add an extra layer above and below, to put some bits of paper along. I think I might actually have done it at least once there and got some paper and blue-tacked it on. Because, of course, the Great Commission doesn't exist in isolation. So what I want to focus on today. We will talk about the commission itself. But actually, I want to focus more on the words that come before and after it. It's not like Jesus just said to us, go and do this amazing and impossible thing. It's all up to you. Jesus said something beforehand about his authority, something afterwards about his presence. And if we are to understand the commission rightly and how we are to perform it, if it's to be anything other than impossible. You need to understand how ultimately it's not our work after all but Jesus Christ and and God's work through and through. So I'm going to unpack it I guess in in, in three sort of steps, three um, thoughts. One on those words that appear before the commission one on the commission itself and and one um, on the words that come after. And each time I want to, to, to try and show us To to teach us, to to hear from God to us, how this is not a daunting task, but something that we can all be involved in. Because he is at work through us. Here's the first point I want to pick out, and it's this. um, That we go to a world, we go to a world that already belongs to Jesus. We go to a world that already belongs to Jesus. The immediate context of the Great Commission is not defeat, but victory. You see, sometimes I mean, we, we, we present that time after Jesus' resurrection, before Pentecost, a time of kind of low ebb. The disciples locked away for, for fear of the Jews. It's all awful. But actually, when we read the accounts in Matthew, and we'll look at Luke this evening, it's a time of great joy and thanks and praise. Jesus has just won. There are some there on that mountain who still doubt and do not fall down on their faces and and, and worship Jesus. But broadly speaking, Jesus has won. He has been vindicated, raised by the Father. Yes, he had been accused of blasphemy. Yes, he'd been put to a a cursed death on the cross, but, but he did not stay dead. And here Jesus makes that explicit. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. By his resurrection, the father has enthroned him in some way as the lord of lords and the king of kings. Authority and power that he had set aside for a time has now been given to him. More than that, now he rules not just as the son of God who even on the cross Directed every atom in the universe where it should go but as Jesus Christ the, the God-man he is put on the throne of God the, the, the great prophecy of Daniel 7 that, that the son of man would, would sit on the throne and order all things is, is being fulfilled he is about to ascend into heaven as we'll look at this evening and seat himself upon God's throne to, to rule all things you see that's why the great commission on its own is is misleading because I think sometimes we hear in our head that we we need to go and make Jesus the Lord of the world as if it's kind of like persuading someone to join the Jesus team and, and have him as their Lord it's almost like when we explain to someone about our football team perhaps if you're like me I have my own team, I'm I'm a fan of of Norwich City, the the correct answer. And I try to convince you that you should be a fan of Norwich City too. You may be on another team, perhaps you're on a new football team, you haven't got one yet, perhaps you support another team. Well, well, here's why you should come over and join mine. But, But that's not what evangelism is. Evangelism is not persuading people to join the Jesus team. It's not that they're currently neutrals. On no team, or on a different team, or on the Muhammad team, or the Buddha team. No, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone already belongs to Him. Every breath they take, everything they possess, everything that they are and ever will be, belongs to Him by right. By His resurrection from the dead and His ascension into heaven, Jesus Christ. Human and divine, owns and rules everything. He is the rightful Lord of everyone and everything. Whenever they live, wherever they live, whoever they are, however they identify themselves, whatever they're called, whatever their background, Jesus Christ is their rightful Lord. I will not, by my evangelism, make Jesus Christ the Lord of anyone new, because there is no one who does not already belong to him. No authority that he lacks that I must get him. Jesus Christ is Lord of the whole world and of every person in it. I think it helps us to think back to, to what the word evangelio, gospel, means that the thing that we're spreading that the the word that gives rise to evangelism it's to go out and to gospel people what does that mean well the gospel a gospel is the announcement of good news and particularly the announcement of the good news of of a king When, when the queen died last year i guess people knew within minutes actually had a good idea it was coming beforehand those of us who are any kind of sort of authority that might involve having to stop things um got an email earlier in the day saying um here's the protocol if a queen should die because the school had to stop i'm a school chaplain we had to sort of have prayer lots of things happened to us straight away Um, as it happened. So i would had some prior warning. By the way, you may just be interested in what you need to do if a queen dies which is a bit of a giveaway that they think the queen is about to die. But within minutes you could have known in the furthest reaches of of the world if you cared, across I guess the Commonwealth who would care more, you could have checked your phone and and up comes the BBC World Service to tell you that the queen has died. People knew straight away. But but think yourself back 2,000 years into the, I guess the Roman Empire of Jesus' day and Augustus dies well Tiberius is, is now the emperor but how do you know it might take him weeks even months for people to find out that, that there was a new emperor in the furthest reaches of the empire, there they are carrying on about their business using their coins, little pictures of Augustus on them, perhaps even sadly saying prayers to Augustus still making sacrifice in his name, not knowing that he had died weeks ago until someone walked into town and said, Augustus is dead. Hear the good news, that the gospel. Tiberius is now king, is now lord, is now emperor. Now that's what Jesus is saying we are to do. Not to, to go out to make people followers of Jesus or, or to make them him lord, as if he wasn't already, but but to announce how things already stand. As those men or, or women walked into a village and said, Tiberius is the emperor, well, you couldn't say, actually, we're not interested. We're an autonomous peasant collective now, or we'd like someone else to be emperor. That's not how it works. No, you're merely declaring the facts. The fact is that Tiberius is now emperor. Augustus is dead, Tiberius is his lord. Now is obviously in some way slightly different, we'll think about that in a second, but but at heart it's the same. I'm not being asked to persuade people to switch teams and take Jesus as their Lord. Let me say that if you're here and you're not a Christian. I'm not trying to convince you to make Jesus your Lord. He is your Lord. I'm merely here to tell you how things already stand. That he is already the Lord of your life to whom you owe everything that you have. The only question is how you will relate to that Lord. Not whether you will have him as Lord or not. You can have him as the Lord who you rebel against or as the Lord who you know. Who offers forgiveness and love and new life and relationship with him. What you can't do is say I'll have some other Lord. He will be Lord one way or not. And in some ways that's a much less daunting task. I may not feel persuasive. I may not feel that I can get people and, and winkle them out of their deeply held commitment to other things but but I'm not called to do that. I, I'm not called to persuade or, or to change or to transform anyone else but merely to declare to them and evangelize them how things really are. They may not... Like it, they may not believe it. But, but I no more make Jesus Lord than, than Newton made gravity work. He merely discovered the facts and declared them. I have discovered the facts of Jesus' Lordship by his word and I declare them to others. Yes, I answer objections. Yes. I do try to persuade them to accept Jesus as their, their Lord, to, to, to repent and to believe, but ultimately at his heart, evangelism is merely stating the truth that all authority in heaven and on earth already belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, wherever I go, I will not go beyond the, the scope of Jesus' lordship and rule. I won't go to anywhere where he can't help me, where, where he is not already present as, as king, because he has all authority in heaven and on earth. There is a major mindset change, I think, in how we do evangelism. Moving from trying to persuade people to change teams to really be laying before them the facts. Even if it's in a sentence, as I narrate my life and, and why it is I live the way I do, or well, because Jesus is Lord of me and of you. There's a confidence and assurance in, in our evangelism as we speak of of facts, and not of personal beliefs and commitments. Jesus Christ is Lord. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to him. So firstly, we go to a world that that already belongs to Jesus. Secondly, we go to make disciples of Jesus by building his church. Now, I can't spend... A long time on the commission itself, but it's worth reflecting on what exactly it is that Jesus tells us to do in that commission, the bit that was chiseled into the stone. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Firstly, the headline is We are to make disciples of Jesus. Make disciples of Jesus. Not make new people under the lordship of Jesus. They're under his lordship already. The question is, will they be learners of, from him? Di- disciples, learners, followers of him, rather than rebels? Not to make disciples of ourselves, something that can go wrong in evangelism. To grow my own ministry. I'm glad to say you will not find Tom Hutchings Ministries Incorporated somewhere on, on the internet with a big picture of me. We are to make disciples of Jesus. But how? Well, Jesus gives us two means to do it. We we baptize and we teach. We baptize and we teach. There is a a, a wonderful kind of help in, in the limitations that Jesus sets we as a church are not to solve every problem in the world political, social, medical, ethical we're not to use every means in the world we have one task to make disciples of Jesus and some simple means in baptism and teaching to do so that there's a, a godly limitation one of the things about leading a church is all the things you could do There's a thousand and one things that we could galvanize the church to do. But Jesus reminds us to keep the main thing, the main thing. Make disciples of him. Baptize and teach. Why baptism and teaching? Well, baptism. Where does the Christian life begin? If Jesus is Lord of of everyone... What does becoming a Christian mean? Well, well baptism is, is the great picture of it. it. It means being washed, brought into a, a new people. Baptism is as the outward washing, which, which symbolises the inward washing by God that must take place if we are to trust in Jesus and, and to know him as disciples. He is our Lord, but we are rebels, therefore we must be brought from our rebellion into a new relationship with him that comes by the cleansing and forgiveness of sins and the sprinkling of the Holy Spirit with, as it were, with the pitcher of, of water and of, of sprinkling. If we are to be disciples of Jesus, there must be some kind of change, some kind of cleansing, some kind of new relationship, some kind of, of new power in us symbolised by, by, by the putting on of, of water the giving of, of the spirit to become a follower of Jesus doesn't just mean to say "Well, I, I was a rebel but now I acknowledge you as Lord no, no there must be what is symbolised in, in baptism as well and from there how does the Christian life go on? well, well by teaching We're not to say to people, you're now forgiven, you've been washed clean, therefore you can do what you want. We are to be taught to obey all that Jesus has commanded us. To obey all of his commands. To live our whole lives for for him. Now, I guess what might often be missing from this is, is how central this all makes the church. Now if I said to you, imagine an evangelist. So I close your eyes and think of what an evangelist looks like. What picture do you get? My, my temptation is again to see the person who is the, the kind of the alpha male or alpha uh, female type, persuasive, charismatic, a bit of an entrepreneur who kind of goes out from the church and, and does something new. Who's standing on a street corner with a megaphone or a or a, a, a speaker. There's nothing wrong with street preaching. But this is the best I have in, in it's the best I have in my head. I see something going on when I think of evangelism that happens outside the church, semi-detached. The person who goes out on their own, entrepreneurially, to do their own thing. But Jesus could not more closely tie evangelism to the church. It begins with baptism. You you don't, uh, unless you're very strange, baptise yourself. Physically speaking. No, no one, as it were, when they became a Christian got into a swimming pool and said I baptise myself in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit it's an act of the church in our tradition as Presbyterians the officers of the church are those who, who baptise because it's an act of the church that brings someone into the church again, baptism is something that's done by the church but it's also, it's marking someone as belonging to a new people As circumcision in the Old Testament, say baptism in the new, is a sign of new belonging to a new people. It's never a purely individual thing. You are baptised into the people of God, into the church, by the church. It's an act of the church. And teaching. Where does teaching happen? Again, there is a sense in which you can teach yourself. But but here Jesus is talking about the interpersonal teaching that happens, primarily, I think, through the preaching of God's word, Lord's Day by Lord's Day, but also in that one anothering as we encourage one another to to obey the commands that Jesus has given. Again, it's something that happens in the church. It's an act of the church as we encourage one another as brothers and sisters to obey Christ. And it's also, again, something that that ends and is aimed towards the, the building up of the church. How many commands in the New Testament are possible if you're on your own. Not many. There are commands to to love and and serve God, but most of them are fulfilled by by loving and serving his people, one another. As we're taught to obey Jesus, we're taught to to be productive, effective members of the people of God. Do you see the focus here that Jesus is is giving, that evangelism is is something that happens under his authority. But then it's something that happens through and and for the church. Not the the semi-detached entrepreneur, but but, but the work of his people. One of the challenges they faced in in Gambia is that there are a growing number of of churches. Not all of which teach clearly. And the Presbyterian Church in Gambia is tiny. Two or three hundred people in a a nation of three million. And constantly there's this pressure from other churches to, to get together... To, to show that the Muslims that we're a force to be reckoned with so they'll stop burning our churches down and, and beating us. And there's pressure in the church to do, to do that. They are asked recently to, to shut all the churches down on a Lord's Day on a Sunday, all the local churches, and to all go together to, to, a, to a big stadium, to have a service together. And the minister of the press church, Church of Gambia, um, rightly said No. No, we won't do that. Maybe if you asked us to gather to pray another day, we would do it. But, but we can't do that for a couple of reasons. One, because we don't know who's going to preach and if they'll teach the truth. We, we want our people to hear the truth. But but two, because we are here to serve the church. We're here to serve the local churches. It, it would be bonkers to, to shut down the church in in the village where Sunday by Sunday, God's praise is being sung and his word is being preached, and people around can, can hear that to, to go together to try and look impressive before the world in this big gathering. Because we know that God wanted to build his church. If we all, as Christians, got together and shut ourselves in a stadium, we might be a political threat, I guess, to others. But, but say someone became a Christian, then where do they go? Whose church do they join? Because when Jesus wants us to evangelise, he wants us to evangelise for the church and into the church. To make people disciples by baptising them into church families where they will be taught to obey and and serve him. That's why we make much, again, of of church membership, of being part of a local church and serving them. Because evangelism is not about making believers who, who will exist one by one out there on their own, but about... Adding to the number of God's people. Read, read through Acts and see how again and again are interspersed the, the note that the Word of God was expanding and, and the note that the churches, not just the church, but the churches were, were expanding. Evangelism is something that happens through and, and for the church. That's how people are brought to be disciples of Jesus. There's then the commission. Go and make disciples of Jesus by building, as it were, his church. Not solving every problem, not winning the political battle, not being a force to be reckoned with, but by the ordinary means that God has provided through the work of local churches, building up the people of God. Isn't it encouraging that's something that's inherently collective that we don't do on our own? It's not the the lone evangelist with the the billboard with their picture on it. but something that's done by completely ordinary local churches. Said to the the church in Gambia as they looked maybe at their small size and and slow-ish growth. The the early church, from, from this time as 11 people stood on a mountain till about 312, by which point... A few hundred years later, over half the Roman Empire was composed of Christians, grew at about four percent per year. About four per cent per year. Which could mostly be accounted for, I guess, in, in children being born. But in four percent per year they, they took over the Roman Empire, as it were, to the extent that Constantine was kind of forced to become a Christian to, to deal with these huge number of people who have become Christians over the last couple of centuries. Despite persecution. Despite every obstacle and opposition, the church merely grew about 3 or 4% a year. That was enough. That was enough. Jesus' commission is not to do some kind of extraordinary, independent, entrepreneurial work, but merely to work by the means he has given to expand his people, not on our own, but together. Thirdly and finally, and, and, and briefly, We go in the power of Jesus. We've seen that we go to a world that already belongs to Jesus. We see that we go to to make disciples and build his church. Finally, we go in his power. We go in his power. Throughout the whole of the Great Commission, Jesus is the one who is emphasised. He has all authority. We are to make disciples of him. And finally, he says, Behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. Remember all the way back in Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus sent out the disciples before, he said, go and be as it were a warm-up act. Tell them that I am coming later. In the Great Commission, we don't do that. And it might seem like a bit of a letdown. At least the disciples went out in Matthew 10. they, They knew that how people responded to them would I I guess define how they would respond to Jesus but more than that they knew that Jesus would come and sort out all the mess if they made a sort of a hash of of announcing the good news of Jesus well in a couple of weeks time Jesus would come and do it properly although Jesus doesn't quite give them that get out clause says if they reject you I won't go there but but, broadly speaking they can think well look it doesn't all in some sense hang on me I can trust that Jesus is is going to come and, and do it later and that can make the Great Commission seem daunting, because now it is on us. We, we aren't the War of actors. There's it, not cavalry as coming over the hill. I remember a, a brother from Australia, where the church is growing, came and said, there's no cavalry coming. There's no, there's no cavalry coming over the hill. Not, not human cavalry, let alone Jesus. Don't think that if we don't do evangelism, someone else will come and, and bail us out. That might seem daunting, but actually in, it'd be to miss the point here. You see, it's not bad news, it's it's good news, because actually what's what's happening is not really that we 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 now lack Jesus coming. It's that he comes with us. It's not like it was disciples in Matthew ten, where they're saying, that Jesus will come in two weeks and he did. It's that as we go and we announce that Jesus is Lord, as we baptise and teach, Jesus Christ is with us. He is with us to the very end of the age. We're not the warm-up act because we are now the main event, but we're the main event because Jesus is with us. It's an extraordinary thing that I can say to someone, trust in Christ and your sins will be forgiven. To which the correct answer, which I very rarely get is, why should I believe you? What right do you have to, to, to say that my sins are forgiven? Here I am already in this, this time of worship. I've, 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 I've reassured you as a human being that, that your sins are forgiven if you trust in Jesus. Why should you listen to me? I have no direct hotline, you might think, to, to God. How, how do I know that your sins be forgiven? Perhaps your sins are too great. Perhaps you've, you've lived in a way which means that God no longer loves you. The answer is because Christ is with us as we declare his word. So long as I I speak the words that that God has given me, I read from Revelation 5, that assurance comes not from me as a human being, but but from the Lord Jesus Christ. As I explained to to my friend at at work or at school or or the family member, the good news of Jesus and, and that he will forgive them if they put their trust in him he speaks through and with me and the words that I speak are from Jesus Christ himself because he is with me to the very end of the age as I'm scared of, of speaking up I need to remember firstly that all authority in heaven and earth already belongs to Jesus the person I'm speaking to belongs to him that I do not know it I need to remember that, that I'm not being asked to, to do it on my own but as part of the people of God and I'm not being asked to make the disciples of me but of him but finally to remember that he is with me to give my words effect and as I speak the words that he has given they are God's power to salvation for all those who believe I guess we've applied all the way through but but it's an obvious say what here isn't there well say what should we do Well, go and be a disciple-making disciple of Jesus. Not on your own, not go and start your own ministry and and go off and do your own thing over there. But just by being a Christian and and serving the church, loving your brothers and sisters, and and speaking of of Christ and his rule, be be the means by which Christ's rule in the church is expanded. Yes, pray for, support the the work of, of Mission Overseas. Do support the work of the church in, in Gambia and elsewhere? They are reliant on, on the support and help of, of brothers and sisters around the world. But, but also let's get stuck into the mission on our doorstep because the cavalry is not coming. It's not coming from Gambia. They need our help, not vice versa, humanly speaking. It's also not going to come in some extraordinary way from, from Jesus in two weeks' time. But, but rather as we speak this week to our colleagues and friends, our family members who do not know Christ... We are the means by which Christ will speak to them and make them his disciples. Let's pray now that Christ would help us to do that and that his rule would would be seen more and more as people turn and, and bend the knee and become his disciples. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you for your rule, your authority given to you by the Father. And that you have called us by baptism and teaching to be your disciples that you are present with us as we go about the work that you have given us of of going out intentionally to tell others of your lordship. Would you keep the promise you have made to be present with us and to give our words effect. As a church, a a local church, as a denomination, as, as your church around the world, would you increase our number as more become your disciples? Amen.